one of the things about entrepreneurship, there is no reward without the risk. Every great entrepreneur had help. And where is that help going to come from? It's going to come from that social network. You don't have to be smarter than everybody else to make money doing asset allocation and save. I think there's a danger when you're in business to find arrogance, and especially if you're doing really well. At the end of the day, I ain't nothing special. I'm just a guy. What has value? Well, what has value is whatever people say has value. I'm going to get better and better and better at what I do as I get older. So the best me is going to be the me right before I die. Hey guys, welcome back to the Marketplace Podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and today on episode number 133, I'm joined with Maya Pope Chappelle, who works at LinkedIn and is the founding education and millennials editor. Maya curates, cultivates, and creates content for the world of education, those who work in it and those who recently left it as students. She works with LinkedIn influencers, in addition to overseeing editorial initiatives and projects involving education for LinkedIn's more than 450 million members. Maya previously worked at the Wall Street Journal in a variety of roles and contributed to the coverage of the missing Malaysia Airlines flight, the Hong Kong protest, and the protests in Ferguson. She has substantial online news experience in the U.S. and Asia markets, including social media and audience engagement, breaking news, and video production. I had a great conversation with Maya. Obviously, she knows a lot of the ins and outs of LinkedIn, and based on LinkedIn's recent growth, and when I say recent in the past year and a half or so, we've seen amazing growth with professionals and other people coming to connect and share other content, including videos and It's amazing the growth that LinkedIn is seeing in recent, particularly how long it's been around. I've also asked Maya to share some tips and insights about LinkedIn to help us all. So without further ado, here is my guest, Maya Pope-Chapelle. Hey, Maya, welcome to the program. Hi, Freeze. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining the show. Appreciate having you on. You, Thanks for having me. Yep. Yep. Excited to have you on. You're the first LinkedIn master. <laughs> if that's if I, master. I, I guess you can call <laughs> me that, although I don't know that I've called myself that. <laughs> Just work at LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you know, so before we get into some of what you're doing at LinkedIn today, and I know this is always a loaded question for people to ask. But can you give us a little background on yourself? You know, I know you went to school initially for American studies. And during your master's period, you pivoted kind of in journalism, which kind of piqued my interest, especially. Tell us a little bit about that journey and what led you into content curation and all that stuff today. Sure. Sounds good. Uh, Well, I'm an Oakland, California native um, for undergrad. I went to UC Santa Cruz, where I majored in, as you mentioned, American studies. Um, and I actually didn't realize that I wanted to become a journalist or tell stories until I got to college. Uh, it was my freshman year and a professor told me that, you know, hey, your writing's pretty good. You should, you know, try out for the newspaper. And no one had actually ever told me that. Funny enough, I'm named after my Angelou and my mom always wanted me to be a writer, but I never really. Well, there you go viewed myself in that way. But yeah, so I uh, went to meet some folks who wrote for the paper um, and got a position on 
on the paper covering like campus stories and things like that. And that really presented just like journalism to me and the idea that maybe this is something that I could pursue. Um, and so since then, I kind of caught the bug. So I tried to just do things that would enable me to gain as much experience as possible. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, my school, they got rid of their journalism minor. But, you know, that ended up working out because I was able to, through this internship that I had, I was working at Kaiser Permanente, which is a large like healthcare organization out here. And so I was interning there every summer as part of this program called Inroads. And while I was there, I made it known that, you know, I'm interested in writing, possibly communications. And I ended up meeting um, this guy who would become my mentor and would kind of help guide me. He had written for a bunch of magazines and did journalism in New York. And I was like, wow, like I actually met someone who's doing what I want to do. Um, and so he was certainly instrumental in kind of introducing, well, not necessarily introducing the idea, but just making it something that could be a reality. Um, and so after I graduated uh, from undergrad, I um, started working at Kaiser full time. And my goal the entire time was basically to work there, save money and move to New York to become a magazine writer. And this was in, I started applying for grad schools. And by the time I got in, um, I ended up going to CUNY Grad School of Journalism, which is actually the Craig Newmark School of Journalism now um, at CUNY. But I ended up going there in 2008 when everyone was, or what seemed like everyone was being laid off. It was a really just bad time for just media in general. There was a ton of turnover. And so I never really let that discourage me. I just tried to basically use the opportunity to get as much experience as I can. When I moved to New York, I didn't know anyone. Um, I didn't really have a ton of experience outside of working with my mentor on a blog uh, that he had back in the day that I worked on. And so pretty much every semester I was interning um, and ended up getting internships at like NBC, CNN. I worked at Essence over a summer. And what I realized while I was in grad school is that newspapers and magazines are, I don't want to say they were dying, but they were certainly <laughs> on, a, <laughs> on a downturn. And the school that I went to at CUNY, it was very much focused on kind of like digital journalism and using like social media to tell stories and just different digital platforms to tell stories. And I got super interested in video and, and telling stories in different ways, but outside of print. And so I realized that I wanted to focus my focus more on that instead of just magazines. And so by the time I graduated uh, in 2009, I was out of a job maybe four months, um, which seemed like an eternity then. But I ended up meeting an editor who would hire me at the Wall Street Journal. And I started working on their Greater New York section, which was a brand new section at the time uh, that no longer exists, actually. And I was hired as a web producer. So I did everything from building slideshows to managing the homepage to doing some reporting and writing. So that's kind of uh, the short version of my story. I'm happy yeah. to you know, talk more about it, but that's kind of the, the early uh, bits of my story and how I got into journalism. No, that's really cool. It's it's especially cool. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up was because, you know, a lot of people, you, you hear news stories right now about people vacillating whether college is good or not. And it really depends mm. on what you're looking for. Um, yes. And people like yourself, my daughter, 
who wrote, she goes to Eastern Carolina University. She started writing for the school newspaper. She blossomed out of nowhere, becoming a writer. And you have gone to college and here you find your path to your gift, I guess you would say. And it all happened in college. So I guess the question is, and I know this is a very generic question, but how important do you think college is today is the question. I think, I mean, for me, college was essential. I don't think it's maybe for everyone, but I would I would say I think it's certainly um, been instrumental to my experience. I would even say like for grad school in particular, especially for journalism, I don't know that you need a master's degree in journalism to become a journalist. I, I don't believe that. But I think for me, it was it was essential. Like I didn't have any contacts in New York. Like I said, I didn't really know anyone. I didn't have a ton of experience. And so being in grad school enabled me to to meet the people I needed to meet and and kind of gain some some names essentially on my resume so that I would be appealing and be able to be hired. Um, so for me, I, I, I think it's essential. But I think it also depends. Like I ended up going to UC Santa Cruz, which wasn't my first choice of college. I actually did not enjoy it at all at first. And so it took some time for me to sort of get in the rhythm of things. But I, I would say by the time I graduated, like I was able to certainly make the most of it. And I think it enabled me to or sort of set me up to to where I ended up going in my career. Yeah. And do you still see a lot of Silicon Valley? I just read a report, I think it was day before yesterday, where Apple, Google, other companies like that are starting to push away the college requirements. Is some of that happening at places like LinkedIn? And are you starting to realize other places in the Bay Area starting to, you know, open it up because they're they're losing a lot of skill. People just there's yeah. a lot of idiots that went to college, right? And I mean, just because they got a degree. Yeah, that's true. I mean, look at this admission scandal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. People are bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, do you see that opening up a little bit? Definitely. I want to say even for um, our team, I believe that we've removed that requirement. Don't quote me on that. But I believe that we've removed that requirement. And I think that it is like there are other ways to garner experience outside of, you know, a college or even school setting. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important. And in general, I think it's um, certainly important to look in different places to to gain talent and people with varied experiences. I don't believe in like even at LinkedIn when I um, and we can maybe talk about this later, but I started this program called the the Campus Editor Program which was essentially getting more students kind of publishing and sharing their insights on the platform. And I was very adamant from the beginning that, you know, I don't want just Ivy League students. I want students from community colleges, from state schools, people who may be in grad school or, you know, a lot older than maybe the, the average person who you think of when you think of a student. Um, so I think it's really important to be able to, to consider people who might not have, you know, traditional backgrounds. Yeah, definitely. So the other nice layer that you have to you is that you were a, a Asia expat, which I think is really cool. I love Asia. Yes, me too. I bet you do. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, you were in Hong Kong specifically, and you at the time you were writing on Asia for the Wall Street Journal. Give me some insights into culturally, how did that shape how you see today and maybe how you approach you know, what you do at LinkedIn and just your own personal life? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I would say, well, let me start from the beginning. So when I first started at the journal, um, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to work abroad. Um, honestly, it didn't really matter where. And my editor at the time suggested Hong Kong mainly because the London Bureau, for example, was very much finance focused, whereas in Hong Kong, you you know, you could focus on finance, arts, like there was a bit of everything there. Mm. And so she thought that that would maybe be a good fit. And I was like, okay, fine. And I actually, the guy who ended up hiring me in Hong Kong was someone I worked with on the video team when he was in New York. Um, We'd actually just met like once or twice, but I had, you know, stayed in touch with him. Um, And so I ended up getting an opportunity there. Again, had never been to Hong Kong, had never been to Asia but I was just like, you know, this is the move that I need to make. I would say, I, I mean, people might think that I would experience some sort of culture shock uh, once I arrived, seeing as how I'd never been there. I don't know that I experienced culture shock in that way. I was certainly open to, you know, new experiences and wanting to to figure out, you know, what this place was about and kind of you know, find my way here for an opportunity. I didn't, just to, to correct you, I didn't write, um, well, I did write stories when I got to Hong Kong, but my main role when I first started in Hong Kong was a, as an online news editor. Ah. Um, and so I was editing stories that were going um, online. A lot of the push alerts I did, I actually wrote a lot of those um, <laughs> and did like the breaking news banners. So all the pushes that annoy you today, we were, I was doing that like a few years ago. <laughs> Get her. It's, uh, now we found out who it is. Get her, everyone. You can blame me. You can blame <laughs> me. Although <laughs> we were not sending as many as you get today. Oh, my God. It's certainly like it, it's, a, it's a new world. But anyway, <laughs> so handling a lot of that stuff. And then eventually I became a, a social media editor. Um, at the time, the journal was looking to expand their social media presence outside of just the U.S. So I was promoted to kind of oversee the strategy for that and, you know, figure out what that looked like in Asia. Um, And I actually got the journal, its first presence on WeChat and Line, which are huge um, social platforms in Asia. Um, But going to your original question in terms of like how it, it shaped me, I think it just expanded my my viewpoint of the world. Um, I think in terms of like, when I think about technology, I think that things there are like very advanced and just forward looking. And I always thought that it was like interesting the way in which um, people there were using technology versus in the States. I oftentimes would come home and I would feel like, you know what, the States, like we're, we're kind of behind (laughs) when it it comes to uh, innovations and you know, a lot of uh, there were a lot of stories around at, at, at that time about like China, you know, copycatting yeah. um, or just like copying other kind of technologies. And I, I just didn't find that to really be the case um, when I was there. I, I found, you know, whether it was in China or Hong Kong, people being very, you know, innovative and, and doing really interesting things. So I think that kind of maybe certainly impacted my my view of kind of technology and and where things are in the world. I think, you know, being a a black woman in Hong Kong, there wasn't a ton of us. I would say about halfway there, I I found my my clique of young black women there um, who I would hang out with. But that was certainly, you know, an experience. I can't say that I experienced a ton of racism. I definitely got a lot of looks, some, some good, some more of just like, interest and mm. just who is this person mm-hmm. but you know all of it i think was just super valuable 
experience and a time that, you know, I look back in my life and just think like, wow, not only did I have that experience, but, you know, I, I want to get that again. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> really cool. I can imagine some some women, some Asian women just running up, putting their fingers in your hair. You know how they like to just touch on you. And it's like, hey, man, I'm not a zoo animal. Yeah, I didn't really. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have that per okay. se, thankfully. Um, but a lot of like, you know, taking pictures yeah, yeah. and like fairs and, you know, stuff like that, which, you know, as long as you're not disrespectful, I personally didn't really mind it too much. Um, it was just people who were trying to do like the 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 sneak yeah. attacks or the, <laughs> or the or the sneak photos. Yeah. And then that was a bit like, okay. No, I, but. you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Asia. So I've, I've been there. In fact, I'll be going to Singapore in, a, um, in October. And I work for Lenovo, nice. which is a Chinese company. And to your, yeah, yeah to yeah. your point, there's so much innovation. I mean, I know there's propaganda on both sides. And, you know, I read a book by Henry Kissinger, which I think is an amazing book called On China, which kind of gives you a, a back into the culture. So if you ever get a chance, you certainly should read that. But I've heard of it, but I don't read that. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really good book. And I think it's amazing too. I, I joined a group called the Black and Abroad, which um, typically when I'm, I just came from Amsterdam two weeks ago, just happened to meet somebody who also had a Black and Abroad sweater on. I had a, a sweater. She had a t-shirt that is. So it's it's kind of okay, cool. I'm going to need one of those. Yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> cool, man. I mean, how you meld the cultures and you get to see other things that, you know, I think it's important that we open ourselves up to that. So that's kind of why I wanted yeah. to dig into your experience there. Yeah, definitely. Hey guys, many of you know that I've started my own business in many different ways. I've started several different side hustles and frankly, there's no real way to duplicate myself other than outsourcing my business. And along the way, I found trials and tribulations of meeting different people using different platforms like Upwork, Fiverr, all these different systems that entrepreneurs and other people like myself tend to use. And I wrote a book about it. It's called The Beginner's Guide to Outsourcing Your Business. Find, hire, and build your team virtually today. As an entrepreneur, you cannot handle every business process yourself. In business, results matter and your goal to produce the best results matter. How do you do this? You need a team. Read this virtual outsourcing book. It's on Amazon. Click the link in today's show notes. It's only $2.99. So click the link in the book description. Let me know that you ordered it today. Love to hear your feedback about it. And if you're looking to build out your team and expand your brand, outsourcing is the answer. Pick up the book, The Beginner's Guide to Outsourcing Your Business today. Now back to the show. So I saw a video which kind of struck me pretty good because, first of all, you seem like a very even keel person. I watched some talks that you did. I think you were at LinkedIn and watched some other videos. Of course, my job is to kind of dig into your business. That includes your Instagram. And- I see. You've done, you've done your Googles. <laughs> yeah, yep, I, had to, I had to do my Googles. <laughs> so, um, so I saw a video which I thought was pretty cool. It was just a really quick snippet, about 34, 37 seconds, but you talked about making the most of your Mondays. And we all know that many people dread Mondays. I don't personally, I actually have a different outlook about the week and Mondays. It doesn't have to be that big of a pain, but how do you tackle and settle yourself for the week or for the week that is? I thought this was important because you are in a very, I know how tech is and I know how the Bay is, right? I've been out there. So I know how 
not volatile is not the right word, but I know how go get them it is. So how do you settle yourself for the upcoming week? Yeah, well, I would say having lived in in both the Bay and New York, I find New York to definitely be a lot more fast paced than the West Coast. Mm. Um, and I actually kind of miss that. But in terms of how I I get ready for Monday, I try and like spend a little time, not too much, but a little time, you know, usually on Sundays, I try and anticipate what's coming uh, for that week. So this week doing this podcast interview, I'm also uh, shooting at our studio down in Silicon Valley. So I spent part of my Sunday night just trying to kind of prepare for that. So like picking out, you know, the outfits that I want to wear on camera um, and just doing a little reading up on maybe things that I want to highlight um, as part of this interview. So I try and take a little bit of time um, on Sundays just to kind of prepare and I find that it's a good way to just kind of set yourself up for the week as much as possible and, and figure out what's coming up so that it's not as dreaded um, as maybe a Monday can be. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think that makes a lot of sense. And my father used to get up at five o'clock in the morning. He had to leave at like nine. And I used to ask him, why do you get up so early? And he was like, because the more panic people feel, the worse they make their Mondays. Right. And I kind of I'm not yeah. I'm not necessarily that disciplined. I will tell you I need my eight hours of beauty sleep, but I I, I was gonna say I have a I have a seventeen month <laughs> or eighteen month old and so yeah. I feel like five is normal, but it's not because I want to be up at that time. <laughs> oh, listen, I you know, I've been through that stage four times and trust me, I I, I look wow. like a deadbeat dad laying right next to my wife. So it's five me and five don't work out. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so you know, and I think that's important for us to kind of take a step back and realize that whatever you're facing for the week doesn't have to be that bad. If you kind of level set yourself and, you know, as you yeah. said, kind of if it's outfits, that's going to frustrate you in the morning, kind of put that stuff aside, but you seem to be a very accomplished person. And I'm, I'm always trying to ask people, how do they kind of calm themselves? Cause there's tons of opportunity to get anxiety. Right. And now you're really digging into my business. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely have some forms of anxiety. Oh, I, I do too. am not maybe as put together as I seem, but <laughs> <laughs> but to kind of quell it, like I I talk a lot to my husband, who you know he hears a lot of like my complaints and anxieties and just like my worries, mm -hmm. um, and so he kind of helps to to settle me, uh, which is great. I try and just like breathe and think, you know, positive things. I, I believe in, you know, speaking things into existence. And if you are constantly, you know, speaking, you know, out loud that that things aren't going well or, you know, you're really stressed about something and it's not going to go well, then it, then it probably won't. So I try and be mindful of of the things that I'm speaking you know, out to the world. And then I also just try and I've, I've been doing this a bit more recently, actually, but I've been trying to write like little notes to myself, like little post-its of just reminders of, of things that I need to keep in mind in terms of, you know, be assertive, walk in your brilliance, like things like mm. that, that just sort of remind me of just to kind of, you know, calm down, yeah. keep and stay the course and, and do the things that I want to do. That's good. So it looks like you've worn a lot of hats at LinkedIn. And, you know, one of the questions yes, that I, <laughs> yeah, you, it seems like you've been all over the place at LinkedIn, which is really, really good. Cause a lot of people, when they want to move around, they typically jump out of a company, which, you know, I've been at Lenovo for six years because 
I've been involved in so many high profile things, sometimes on the back end of stuff, but, you know, certainly it gives me a fresh perspective where I don't want to leave to another place. You maybe get the same yeah. perspective. Is that why you find yourself dealing in new projects? Are you kind, do you have an entrepreneurial spirit? What's kind of your drive there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely have kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. I have, um, like I've always throughout my career, like I've always really enjoyed on working on like new projects or things that aren't kind of fully formed and I can come in and help to try and, you know, shape it and, and turn it into what I think it, it should be turned into. I don't know that I would have thought that I would have been at LinkedIn this long. Honestly, I've been here four years. Um, and I'm not, you know, tired of it yet. Like I've had the opportunity to, I've always worked on the editorial team, but I've had different roles, uh, an opportunity to work on a ton of like, yeah, different projects kind of, well, kind of the same role, I guess, technically, like my role per se hasn't changed. Like I started as a news editor, then became a senior news editor, but the projects and my focus has certainly changed over time. Um, like when I was first hired at LinkedIn, um, I moved from Hong Kong to New York and was working out of the New York office. Um, and I was overseeing our educational vertical. So this is when um, I started the the campus editor program, um, which was focused, like I said earlier, on kind of getting students sharing on LinkedIn their insights and expertise, if you will, um, but also working with higher education leaders and influencers in the education space. Um, and once for the campus editor program, once I was able to scale that globally and I got the education vertical to a place that I thought, you know, is sort of running on its own, I was able, able to kind of pivot and work more closely with like our LinkedIn learning side, because that side of the business was growing. We had just, um, LinkedIn had just purchased, uh, lynda.com. And so there were all these authors, um, who we wanted to get them to, you know, share their expertise on the platform. And, and so I worked a lot with them. And then now I'm very much focused on generating conversation on more kind of general news topics and industry trends outside of outside of some of our key audiences, while also experimenting and leading some initiatives tied to how the editorial team is engaging members and, and sharing out those best practices. Um, and then in addition to that, kind of on the um, storytelling end of things, as I like to say, um, I produce and host this series called How I Got Here. Mm -hmm. And that highlights professionals from different industries with different professions, just talking about their unique stories of how they got to where they are um, in their career. So that's sort of what I'm focused on um, now. Happy to kind of talk a bit about like our editorial team and our focus, but um, that, that's what I'm doing now. No, that's really cool. I can't wait to be a part of that show. That's a hint. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> no, it's great. I'm actually I'm opening it up now to to invite members, um, particularly students and in, in young professionals, because I'm targeting it to to that demographic. Although, of course, it's open to all members on LinkedIn. But I'm actually trying to get more people to share their own how I got here stories on the platform, um, and I'm going to do some things to help kind of elevate those things and and get them out there. So please, forty four <laughs> is like the new twenty. That's what I say about that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's funny to me because LinkedIn has been around for 17 years, but in my mind, maybe it's just yeah. my own warped mind. It seems like the boom hasn't happened until the past year and a half, maybe. What Do you know what happened? Why all of a sudden 
we're seeing this mad dash over to LinkedIn and everybody is now sharing content and, and regretfully it's almost turning Facebooky. I saw somebody put a picture of them in the hospital yesterday. I'm like, all right, dude. So you gotta follow the right people. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but no, it's like uh, I mean, it's like every other. I mean, it's it's like every social network in, in the sense of like you know you have your your trolls and and people who maybe post kind of silly things. But I certainly don't see it at the level of maybe other social networks. But you know, in just the four years that I've been there. Our, our team has changed tremendously. The, the platform has changed a ton. Like just um, when I talk about the editorial team specifically, I was part of kind of the first wave of editors that were hired at LinkedIn outside of kind of the founding or, you know, the, the editors who had been there since the beginning. Um, and so when I was hired, we got to maybe 25 editors um, and we were mainly based in New York. Now we have like nearly 60 editors worldwide in nine countries and we're covering seven languages. Wow. So just the growth in terms of our emphasis on editorial and stories has, has grown tremendously. Um, I've also, I think a huge change has been just to the feed on LinkedIn. There's a lot more focus, I think, on certainly like conversation and people sharing their expertise. And the way that we approach editorial here at LinkedIn is it's it's certainly we call ourselves human editors <laughs> um, because we see ourselves as um, kind of curating LinkedIn of, um, and kind of curating what um, professionals need to see um, and combining that with machine lear learning that, you know, surfaces or algorithms that surface. Uh, trending content or things that, you know, you've identified mm. that would be important to you. Um, so I've seen like a ton of change in that. And also just like we had this uh, trending news module, for example, which I feel like we've always had something like it, but to find it was very difficult. <laughs> Whereas now, like you can see it, like if you're on desktop, it's on the right hand side yeah. or like on mobile, if you go to search. You can see like all the day's like top stories and the most relevant viewpoints for that. Um, and all of that is driven and curated by the editorial team. And the reason for that is because we're very much, as I said, focused on tapping the the expertise of our members and kind of showcasing the the expertise and perspectives that, you know, our members can bring to a particular news event or an industry trend. Yeah. You guys have done a really good job of kind of curating and bubbling the correct stuff up to the top where before I don't think anybody was sure where where it was really going. And now it's becoming more and more clear to even the average user. Yeah, I always say that, like, you know, I have a I can point to a place, um, you know, like, here's what my team does or here's here's what I do. Um, whereas before, you know, that that wasn't yeah, as easy. That's cool. So in respect of your time, I have four quick questions about the platform itself. Uh, hopefully, maybe you can sure. spend one minute with each. But really quickly, how should people really post without the cheesy self-promotion? So the cheesy self-promotion, in my mind, is when people are like honored to be a part of the honoree group of 50. You know, it's you feel the self-promotion in there, but you don't know mm -hmm. you don't know how to call them out because you want to do the same a little bit. But how do how do you really put valuable <laughs> stuff out for people and stay away from some of that? Yeah, there's certainly a way to do it. And, you know, what we look for, I mean, as an editorial team, we're very much focused on the day's news and industry trends. So if you're looking to like gain wider promotion or just talk about things that we would probably be more likely to pick up, 
you definitely want to focus on the stuff that's trending on LinkedIn or, mm. or news that's happening now. In terms of like the line between promotion and what I like to call like sharing your expertise, I think there is kind of a fine line, but I think that there's certainly a way to do it. So I always say like, you know, start with what's in in your head, start with your experiences, start with, um, you know, things that you have an expertise or a knowledge of. Um, and you don't have to be, and when I say expertise, you don't necessarily have to be an expert per se, but, you know, tapping into your perspectives based on your experiences or, or what have you, like tap into those things and, and share that in a way that is newsy, that gets people talking. Um, we often, you know, encourage people, whether they're sharing a post or a video, to ask a question to their to their audience or even like bring in other people into the conversation by at mentioning people, for example, um, so that you're just kind of starting that conversation and you're not doing it in a way that is is promotional. Mm, that's really good. Can you explain a little bit, a bit about the Pulse Network? How much do you have any involvement with that? Yeah, so, so Pulse, we no longer refer to it as Pulse. Um, it's just uh, sorry. No yeah. worries. It's fine. Um, it's just like our, our, we call it just kind of like our trending news ah, module or okay. the trending stories on LinkedIn. Um, so that's, uh, again, what you see like on desktop on the right side or on mobile and search that that's curated by us. That's really based on just kind of the, the news of the day, but as it relates to professionals. So we really try and focus on, you know, stuff that is moving business industry, the economy, try and steer clear of, of politics. For instance, we focus more on the policy as opposed to the, the, the politics of something. Um, but we really try and give members the, the news and views they need to talk about the things that matter today. Why not politics? It's such civil discourse that we have and discussions that we have about politics. Yeah, we don't totally avoid it. We just focus more on, you know, the the policies of and how they're going to affect, you know, oh, business, oh, economy, industry, uh, oh, okay. etc. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking what could go wrong we'll talking we'll about see. politics. <laughs> so lastly, I was thinking of doing some LinkedIn ads myself. What should I focus on for a better return? Do you think uh, you know, for individuals that are just individuals, maybe branding themselves, are LinkedIn ads even worth it? I, I mean, what's your thoughts around that in general? That would be a great question for our marketing team. Got it. Um, who the editorial team, we work um, with our marketing team, but in the capacity of they help to amplify the the things that we're doing. So whether that's a, a, a trending story, um, a post by an influencer, they sort of take that and and promote it. Um, but we very much function like, uh, journalists or, um, you know, we, we definitely kind of keep that, that separation. I see. So I can't I answer that, but you know, I, I sure. <laughs> uh, having ads help. You're like, <laughs> Just my do general it. kind of, I, <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> so look, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. You've been so gracious, so pleasant to talk to. I, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they reach out to you? How do they read any of your materials? We'll make sure to post up some stuff. I know you you shared something with me that I'll share with the listeners here. Yeah, you know, how please. can they contact you or learn more about what you and your editorial group are doing? Yeah, definitely go to LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Follow me, linkedin.com slash my name, Maya Pope Chappelle. Uh, I am on Twitter, although I haven't tweeted in a long time. No, you honest, have I'm not. Kind of, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm more of a lurker these days. So, um, That's just a good word I'm for stalker. Maya Day. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm Maya, Maya J on there, also Instagram, although, again, not posting much. I just, you know, I like LinkedIn, honestly. Um, I feel like the, the conversations there are are good. I like the insights from people, so I, I, I tend to be on there more, so... You know, come over to LinkedIn, come find me yeah. um, and also check out the the resources that I've shared with Chris on how to, uh, you know, get your voice amplified on the platform. Good deal. My, you've been so awesome. I thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, guys, hope you enjoyed the interview. I had such a good conversation with Maya. I think she's funny. I think she's engaging. And obviously she knows a lot about LinkedIn. And hopefully you guys were able to take notes or mental notes of some kind to go in, clean up your LinkedIn pages, and more importantly, figure out the content that you want to share that you think will be engaging and valuable for your listeners, readers, whoever it may be, depending on what you're sharing, whether it's videos or written articles. I know that I have to brush up more on LinkedIn myself. I have a good laid out LinkedIn page, but there's so much I want to share on there. So this was a really great conversation for me. And again, I hope it was the same for you. Look, you guys feel free to share this episode. I would love to hear your feedback. Go to iTunes, leave feedback, five stars, please. You can win $25 if you go to insidethemarketplace.com. We're actually giving away $25 to winners uh, that leave feedback on iTunes. Otherwise, connect with me on Twitter at Priest Willis, P-R-I-E-S-T, Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S. I want to see you guys. I want to hear from you guys. Depending on the content that you want to hear, feel free to leave feedback. I take all feedback, good or bad. I'm willing to listen to it for sure. My thing is all about growth. So until next Sunday, I'll talk to you guys soon. I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. (laughs)